Amen. Woo, yes. Let us clap. El Señor está aquí, we would say in Spanish church. Quien vive. Y a su nombre. Y al pueblo. I feel like I'm an old church. Amen. Gloria a Dios. God is here. And to him belongs all glory and power and praise. To his glory belong all praise. It is good to be in the house of the Lord this evening, Buenas Tardes Church. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ines, and I'm one of the co-lead pastors here at the church we hope for. And I'm so thankful that I'm not pastorless either. Uh, so my co-pastor came up early to, to welcome us. And I just want to tell you the kind of co-pastor I have. This is the co-pastor the Lord gave me. He asked me this morning, how can I be praying for you? Because we just got back from this trip to New York City where we're um, advocating from God's word, um, a theology of a God who calls women created women and ordains women um, and, and in our God-given authority. And I said, well, I'm, I'm feeling a little nervous because I don't have a manuscript this, this evening. Um, and here's, here's a co-pastor that the Lord gave me. He said, you know, needing notes to preach faithfully is a Western, enlightenment, academic-oriented, colonized, patriarchal, white-centered nonsense idea. <laughs> So there's that smiley face. Who told you you couldn't just preach with your Bible? Your ancestors were storytellers from an oral tradition and that was enough. And our ancestors are here this evening, whether it's our cultural ancestors as well as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who is also the God of Sarah and Hagar. Rebecca and Rachel and Leah. Blessed be the name of the Lord that we serve a God who created and called women as equally as men. Uh, and so we have been in this series reconstructing the stories of the mothers of the faith and the fathers of the faith. And this is how we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 32 this evening. And I invite you to open your Bibles or Bibles app. I have no manuscript, blessed be the name of the Lord, uh, subject to the Holy Spirit. Don't know what's going to happen today. I've been studying the text. I've been sitting with the text. I was wiggling in the airplane seat yesterday next to Bobby, uh, looking at this text. And so God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to you, God, for you are my rock and you are my strength, and you are my refuge, and you are my redeemer. And Holy Spirit, we invite you into this text tonight, even as we invite our bodies into this text tonight. I welcome every body and every soul of every human that is here today. I pray that you would meet them where they need to be met that they would be met with grace, whether they're lamenting or celebrating, that they would be met with your face. We long to see your face, Jesus. We long to see your face, Yahweh. So show yourself to us in the same and mighty way that you show yourself to your son, Jacob and to Rebecca, and to Rachel, and to Leah, in the same way that you showed yourself faithful to Esau and Isaac as well. 
Help us to enter into the story tenderly, compassionately, so that we would find ourselves in the story. Holy Spirit, you are the teacher tonight, not I. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 32, verse 24 through 31. Now he arose that same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his 11 children. This is Jacob's two wives and two maids and 11 children. You heard right. That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> and crossed the ford of the Jabok. He took them and sent them across the stream and he sent across whatever he had. And then Jacob was left alone. He was alone in his own wilderness. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. You may remember this story. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Beniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me tell you a little bit about um, Jacob's story. I had to do a lot of reading. I kept going back thinking, I'm just going to go back one chapter. And then I had to go back two chapters. And then I had to go back about 10 chapters to know this brother's story. Because it's like a telenovela, okay? Or like a Korean uh, telenovela. One of those. I don't know which one is more dramatic. Maybe the Spanish telenovelas. But this is like a, a telenovela. There's a lot going on here. And uh, Jacob's mother is Rebecca. Rebecca is pregnant with twins. Amy, Bobby's wife, knows a little bit about that, right? Twin, twin parents. So Rebecca is um, uh, Isaac's wife, Isaac and Rebecca. They, she is pregnant with twins. And in chapter 25, verse 22, it says that the children struggled together within her. From the moment that Jacob was in his mama's belly, he was wrestling. He was wrestling. That was not the only time that Jacob had been wrestling with God at that moment of the passage I just read, but with his brother and within his mother from the time of conception. And she said, if it is so, why then am I this way? So uh, she went to inquire of the Lord and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. So she's got two kids in her womb, uh, Jacob and Esau. Uh, when the days uh, came to be that she delivered them, the days were fulfilled, the twins in her womb were born. So there's Jacob and Esau. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a peaceful man living in the tents. Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And the brokenness begins in this story. So they've been wrestling. Jacob has been wrestling. This is not the first time that he has been wrestling. He's been wrestling since the womb. He grows up. 
and uh, Jacob desires, as is a cultural tradition, Jacob desires um, Esau's birthright, Esau's blessing, because Esau was born first. So much so that the name Jacob, which is important, means the one who grabs by the heel. So Jacob was born holding Esau's heel, wrestling from the beginning within himself and with his brother. So the time came when it was time for Esau to receive his blessing uh, from his father Isaac, the God of um, the Isaac, we hear that often and often, right? And when that time came, because of brokenness, Rebecca tells Jacob, you need to go get that blessing from your father. It's supposed to be for Esau, but um, Rebecca encourages Jacob to take that blessing. So I'm just going to keep like summarizing these important parts of the story. And so Jacob steals the blessing from Esau. Jacob lies, and y'all may remember uh, parts of that story. Jacob lies and puts, you know, kind of uh, animal skin on his arm because Isaac was losing his eyesight, kind of like I'm losing my eyesight as well, and I need glasses. Um, and so he lies to his father more than once about who he is, about his identity. I believe that Jacob was struggling with his identity from the time that he was in his womb, in his mother's womb. And so he lies to his father and receives that blessing from his father because Isaac cannot see. He thinks that is Esau. Esau is out in the fields hunting for game. Uh, Rebecca helps to cook a meal for Isaac. And then he steals that blessing. Jacob has been wrestling from the beginning with his identity. And I think, I think he steals this blessing, because deep down inside, it's a question about his belonging. From the day that he was born, a question of belonging, and a question of identity, and a question of self-worth, and a question of security. He doesn't just wrestle with God overnight until the dawn. For a long time, he had been wrestling. So there's a fight there because uh, the lie is discovered, the, the cheating and discovered, and they get into the fight, into a fight. And so Esau is pretty upset because this has happened. Um, and so Jacob leaves, leaves into to another country, uh, finds a wife, finds, uh, falls in love with Rachel, can't marry Rachel because Leah is the eldest daughter. Y'all remember that story. So there's some, another part of the telenovela right there. And uh, he stays there in, in Laban's, I'm pronouncing that in Spanish, I don't know if that's how you say it, in Laban's country. Laban has two daughters. The oldest was Leah, the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, the story says Rachel was beautiful, and he has to work, as you all may remember, for uh, these women to earn um, the right to, to be with them. He was there away from his family, away from his father Isaac, away from Rebekah, away from his brother Esau, his twin brother, for 20 years. He has to work seven years for Rachel, seven more years for Leah, all that telenovela. They also bear children, 
So I had to do like a little map on how, how many women does Jacob have and how many children and how many concubines, you know. But he's there a lot. Thank you, Ms. Glendar, a lot. He is there for about 20 years. And this backstory is important because there's a rupture. There's two brothers who become estranged from each other. Two brothers who become estranged from each other, a father and a son. Jacob, estranged from God as well. There's just brokenness, 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 brokenness everywhere. Brokenness everywhere. Jacob has encounters with God, with an angel of the Lord a couple of times. Jacob deceives his father-in-law. His father-in-law deceives Jacob, just a mess. Of course, I'm, I'm a little judgy there and I go, well, you're getting what you paid for. You're reaping what you sowed. You cheated your brother out of, out of his blessing. What did you expect? That things would go well for you? Like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to separate myself from the story instead of inviting myself into the story. These 20 years, Jacob says in chapter 31, verse 40, 41, these 20 years I have been in your house, he tells his father-in-law. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for, for your flock. You change my wages 10 times. But if the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been for me, surely now you would have sent me away empty handed. But God has seen my affliction and the toil of my hands. So he rendered judgment last time, last night. His father-in-law said, um, it was in my power to hurt you. But the God of your father talked to me last night and said not to do it. In spite of Jacob's unfaithfulness, in spite of the fact that he was a liar and a cheater and a deceiver, somehow God in his great mercy and God in his eternal fidelity and faithfulness saw Jacob's affliction. Does that sound like something we've been talking about lately? Hagar who said, you are the God who sees me. He is echoing an ancestral promise, an ancestral refrain of a God who sees us in every affliction. We don't miss the eyes of God. He's always looking at us. God's name is Elroy. More telenovela going on there, more telenovela. And so after 20 years, um, Jacob was like, I gotta go, dear father-in-law. I gotta go, suegro, and um, I'm going to leave and I like to take my wives and my children and all the things that I have, I have worked for. And there's a, a controversy there about that, and so he leaves. He leaves and says, let me go back to look for my brother. I wonder what happened in those 20 years. We know nothing of what happened to Esau in, 20 year, in those 20 years. So there's two brothers and two stories that are happening. One is kind of silent. Esau's voice and Esau's story is kind of silent during this time. I wonder what happened though in those 20 years. Did, did Esau go through the normal stages of grief, of anger and loss and grief and lament 
and denial, and I don't remember all the stages of grief, but those of you who have social work backgrounds and psychology backgrounds, who could, could probably name them. I wonder if he went through all those stages of grief as he was angry that his brother had left and had mistreated him. I wonder if Esau said, you know, Jacob deserves to leave. Jacob deserves wrath, and I deserve revenge. I deserve, I, I deserve retribution. I wonder what this silence means in Esau's life. And I wonder if maybe you resonate more with Esau than Jacob right now. And I wonder where you are in Esau's silence. Maybe in year one, maybe in year five, maybe in year 20. Because forgiveness doesn't happen overnight. And I think the silence of Esau is an invitation to us as we look within ourselves and our relationships and the things that have been done to us and we enter into this wilderness of silence with Esau, even though he does not speak in the verses that I've talked about, he is there. He comes later. He is there. 20 years. I wonder what that looks like. Isaac has deposited fear in Jacob. He says that the God of Abraham had not been with me or the fear of my father had not been with me. I don't know what I would have done. Those are strange words or interesting words to me. I'm curious about them. And then in chapter 32, where we find this part of the passage, so what he does is he says, I'm gonna go back to my brother. I'm gonna see if I can find favor with him. He gathers all his family and, and sends messengers to go ahead. The messengers come back and say, Esau wants to come see you. He's coming to meet you, chapter 32, verse 6, and he's bringing 400 men with him. <gasps> Imagine if you haven't talked to your brother in 20 years and you have done him some wrong. You've been a liar and a cheater and a deceiver. I mean, this is like a country song. <laughs> I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you that the other day I taught Nash, uh, what's that song about? Uh, uh, Carrie Underwood song. Um, like she keyed someone's like, <laughs> oh, Christina's laughing. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> like think twice before he cheats. Yes, thank you. We got some people. Gabe, come on, help me out now. <laughs> I'll, I'll make him think twice before he cheats. Okay, so I was teaching Nash about not cheating. <laughs> and um, anyways, oh Jesus, help me back to get back on the story. <laughs> So he sends messengers. The messenger says he wants to see you. He's coming to meet you. 400 people are coming with him, 400 men. And the first thing he says, chapter 32, verse 7, Jacob was afraid. Jacob was distressed. He thought he's coming to, he's coming for revenge, surely, because of what I have done. Maybe he was thinking that, I don't know, but he was afraid and he was distressed. Jacob deserved Revenge, right? An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Jacob deserved um, retribution. So that's not what he finds. And so he is stressing out for a little bit there. And in verse 10, I start seeing um, these echoes of confession, repentance, repair, and reconciliation that I didn't want to see in this story. Because I don't like Jacob here. He's been a liar and a cheater and a deceiver. And I have a hard time connecting with Jacob here. 
because he's been a liar and a cheater and he has hurt and harmed people and a deceiver. And I hear this echo of confession here since we are doing relent. This was God's invitation to me. Verse 10, I'm unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you, talking about Yahweh, God, have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I have crossed this Jordan and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. He is so afraid. He, he's afraid of violence. But God tells him that he's going to prosper him and prosper his descendants. This is a father of our faith. With the mothers of the faith also trailing along. Right? Let's not forget the women and the children there. And so what he does is he gathers all the family and then he goes before. So he gathers all the families uh, by family units. And he says, I'm going to go before my brother. I will, I will present him uh, these gifts. Then afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on before him while he himself spent that night in the camp. Now he arose that same night and took his two wives, two maids, his 11 children and crossed the ford. And he took them and sent them across the stream and he sent across whatever he had. So when he comes to wrestle with the angel of the Lord, I just want you to see that he has been wrestling with himself from the day even before he was born. So God, when God shows up, it ain't the first time that he has been wrestling. He has been wrestling for a very long time. He's been wrestling for 20 years. Jacob had wrestled to find his identity. Jacob had wrestled to find belonging. Jacob had a mentality of scarcity, of I am less than. He was holding his brother's heel. He was lying and cheating his way out of his brother's blessing. Then he is mistreated by Laban. I wonder what all of that did to him in 20 years. So by the time the angel of the Lord um, is, is there and they're wrestling together, it says that he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled. I, I wonder if this was one of those sassy angels. See, I imagine that sometimes angels are a little bit sassy. Is this was one of those sassy angels that says, boy, you ain't grabbing my heel like you grabbed Esau's heel. You ain't grabbing my heel today and you're not gonna take something uh, from me, okay? I'm going to show you who is God. I'm the God in your wrestling, but you ain't going to grab my heel. <laughs> in fact, I'm going, to, I'm going to touch your thigh and dislocate it. This is kind of confusing to me. But maybe he wasn't being sassy. Maybe he was also saying, boy, I see you. You've been wrestling for a very long time. And your wrestling has brought you to repentance. So this wrestling is different than the wrestling in the womb. And this stealing of the blessing or wanting a blessing is different than when you stole your brother's blessing. Maybe this blessing, this wrestling, excuse me, brought him to repentance. And the wrestling brought him wisdom. I wonder, because wisdom is walking with a limp. And I have to invite myself into the story. Wisdom is walking with a limb. God's wisdom 
grows in this wrestling. Our fear um, of who God is grows when we wrestle with God. Pastor Bobby last week gave a tremendous sermon um, about Isaac and the binding of, of Isaac. And he says, you know, we have a God that doesn't shun or shame our wrestling. We, we don't have a God who shuns or shames our faith questions. We don't have a God who shuns or shames our doubt. We have a God who welcomes all of that. So if you see it in that light, then this is a holy wrestling with the angel of the Lord. He says, you know, let me go. The dawn is breaking. And he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. But this is a different fight. This is a more humble Jacob, perhaps. One that has confessed. One that is repenting. He is bringing gifts to his to his brother, perhaps in an attempt to make amends for what he has done. I wonder, I don't know. I wonder, I'm just looking at the text and it invites, it invites repair. It, it, invites, it invites mercy. Wisdom is walking with a limp. Wisdom is finding that God's faithfulness is greater than my unfaithfulness. That God's faithfulness is, is greater than what I do in reaction or in response to my flesh. Pastor Da Rosa was, was leading us in God's promises being forever and ever and ever and ever. God's steadfast love to Israel, even though Israel often and often and often was not faithful back. And so it is with us. But maybe the angel is not shunning or shaming this wrestling. He is honoring it. He's saying, this is good. You're wrestling with someone who is greater than you. And what you're wrestling for is not a blessing. It's a sense of belonging and of identity. You know why I think that? Because the angel says, what's your name? That's a question of identity. What is your name? What are the names that you call yourself? What are the memories that you have in your story? And the meaning assigned to those memories and the messages that those memories have given you, have sent? What are the names that you have been called? What are the circumstances of your birth? What is your name? How were you born? What's your name? It's a question of identity. And his name begins with wrestling. But maybe that's a holy place. Maybe that's a place of revelation. What's your name? It's holy ground. What's your name? Because you're standing here. What's your name? Tell me your name. Tell me your story. And he says, Jacob, which means the one who has wrestled or the one who has grabbed the heel. And so in verse 28, he says, your name is no longer going to be Jacob. This is the consequence of the wrestling. Your name is no longer going to be Jacob. It's going to be Israel, which means God strives or he who strives with God. What a holy thing. So it wasn't a condemnation of Jacob. It was an affirmation that this was good. That wrestling with God is good. That deconstructing is good. That putting uh, God's pieces apart and then putting God back together. That deconstructing our story and deconstructing other people's stories and how we all fit together is a good thing. It's a question of identity and calling and purpose. I'm going to give you a new name now. And he leaves his name as one who wrestles with God. What a wonderful invitation to wrestle with God and not see it as all, oh, as less than the way I came into the text. I came with presuppositions with this text. 
He says, because you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Wow. To persist in our doubts, in our searching of those doubts, to persist in our curious questions about God, to persist in our own story, you have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. See, because calling is dialectical. We're in conversation with God and God is in conversation with us and we're in conversation with others when it has to do with calling and identity and belonging. Can you tell me your name? But the angel says, why do you want to know my name? I'm just going to bless you. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. And he went away limping because wisdom is walking with a limp. Because wrestling brought him to repentance. Because wrestling brought him to a place where he could receive because the teacher comes when the student is ready. God honors Jacob's wrestling and I'm greatly encouraged by this. Because more often than not, sometimes I'm Jacob and sometimes I'm Esau. And God honors this wrestling as holy ground as the place that houses the presence of God and also the conversations that we have with God. And God marks Jacob so that he wouldn't forget this conversation. You ain't gonna forget who I am and you're gonna know that I am the Lord. It's a humbling moment, a humbling moment of spiritual formation in Jacob's life. And it is what needed to happen before he went back to his brother. So Jacob lifted his eyes and looked and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him and maybe he's getting ready. He's like, okay, I got my blessing. Okay, maybe Esau's not gonna kill me. Maybe he's not gonna hurt Leah and Rachel and the, the maids and the kids. And so he goes before him, but he himself passed on ahead of them, uh, verse three, and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck. And I mean, this was like a bromance right now going on. He fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Wow. It reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. And the father who looks up always waiting for his son to come back and goes on and sees his son and lifts up his skirts and unashamedly runs towards his son and kisses him on the neck. God had provided Jacob preemptive grace and it was undeserved. And I have a hard time with that a little bit to be honest with you. And they kiss and they, Esau's like, who are all these people? This is who they are. And why did you, why do you have all these things? And he said, well, I brought all these things to find favor in, in your sight, my Lord. Because he's walking with a limp, remember? <laughs> with humility. But Esau said, I have plenty, my brother. Let what you have be your own. And Jacob said, no, please, if, if now I have found favor in your sight, then take my present from my hand, for I see your face as one who sees the face of God. And you have received me favorably. To see your face is to see God's grace. I don't know what your wrestling looks like today. 
I certainly don't want to advocate that forgiveness of broken relationships is easy because it's not. And forgiveness doesn't happen, in my opinion, overnight, and it ought to not happen without repentance. The church is overly resourced with books about forgiveness and poorly resourced with books about repentance. So I believe in a deep confession, in a deep repentance, in a deep deep repair before reconciliation can even happen. So as you listen to the story, if, you, if, if God is bringing to mind broken relationships, be gentle with yourself, be compassionate, because not all situations will end like this. Reconciliation is not always possible, especially if we have been victims of abuse. And forgiveness may not always be possible, especially if you've been victims of abuse, if we have been victims of abuse. The invitation though here that, that struck me more than anything is God's grace in another, undeserved grace, the invitation to wrestle with God, to wrestle with oneself, to wrestle with, with others in our story, to wrestle with ourselves, to wrestle even with um, maybe what Jacob is engaging, uh, this, this comparison that is crippling him from the, before the day he was born. The invitation to wrestle with our faith, to wrestle with this holy book, to wrestle in our relationships, to wrestle in our workplaces. This holy wrestling is a good thing. It is very good. And God honors it. And God welcomes it. And God invites you into it. And I am moved though, I am moved by God's grace in someone else's face. Because I believe that the gospel is the love of God in the face of Christ. That the face of Christ comes into more clear focus. The face of God comes into more clear focus in the face of Christ. And the face of Christ comes into more clear focus in the face of another. And so this intimate moment of Jacob and Esau coming together to say, I see your face and to see you is grace. To see your face is grace and grace is seeing the face of God in you. I wonder who has been that for you. Because maybe you're not able to go back to an Esau relationship, but who else has been God's face for you? So Pastor Bobby gave his testimony and he was talking about looking back in gratitude in honoring Debbie as mom, what would it look like for us to be God's face for someone else? To receive God's grace and also be conduits of that grace. So maybe this is not a perfect story and it's not gonna happen every time in our relationships, but the invitation to see God's grace in another. God's put the, God puts the lonely in families and I pray that we would be surrounded by those who see but by those who will show us God's face, that we'll be attentive to them, that we will be tender to them. Wherever you find yourself in your wrestling, blessed be the name of the Lord. Wherever you find yourself um, in your wilderness right now, blessed be the name of the Lord. I pray that God would meet you in that place and that holy wilderness and that holy wrestling will bring forth wisdom and healing in your life. I pray that I would walk with a limp. I pray that you would not uh, believe the lie that this pulpit is a pedestal because Pastor Bobby and I are not perfect. We are imperfect followers of Jesus. 
and that God's wisdom would arise from our wrestling with God, wrestling with ourselves, and wrestling with each other. So God, as we come before you, we come before you, God, the God of Abram and Isaac and the one who wrestled with you, Jacob, the God of Sarah and Hagar and Rebecca and Rachel and Leah. God, you are the God who welcomes our questions and welcomes our wrestling, and you meet us always with grace. God, I pray that you would grow wisdom in this time of wrestling. Wherever we find ourselves wrestling with you, that we would see it as holy ground. I pray that we would find your wisdom. I pray that we would find your presence. I pray that we would find your face and that you say that this place is holy. Wrestling with you is holy. And I pray that you will surround ourselves with people that will show us your face. Whether it's in a moment's notice that we need a prayer because a crisis has happened, whether it's in our workplaces or neighborhoods, that we would see your face, God, and that we would be God's face. Your face is not too far, God. We just have to look to the left or to the right. We just have to turn to the left or to the right, and there you are, and there you are. God with skin on, beautiful skin, diverse skin. God, we love you. We thank you for your grace towards Jacob. We thank you for uh, the wrestling of Jacob. And we thank you that you know our name and that you're changing the names by which we call ourselves so that we can find purpose and calling and identity and belonging in this place where we find ourselves right now. We love you, God, in Jesus' name.